with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us at six minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on AM 1420. The answer. It's a Friday, and it's a semi-free for all Friday. I do have a couple of guests that I think you're going to want to hear. Uh, but it is the twentieth morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up in a half an hour, we go to Alliance Defending Freedom. We haven't talked to the attorneys from that phenomenal legal ministry looking to defend and protect the rights of Americans uh, to practice free speech, to uh, conduct themselves as they f- see fit without being bullied and browbeaten by special interest groups and their lawyers. And, of course, we know we're talking about things like religious freedom. We're talking about things like the Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, in Colorado that was sued for not making a gay wedding cake and uh, providing services, and we know the drill. Alliance Defending Freedom is on another case right now that is extraordinarily important because of the on or the oncoming freight train that is the LGBTQXYZ exclamation point hashtag question mark um, uh, movement. Uh, that is coming like a freight train train in a potential Biden administration. Make no mistake about that. And they are going to try to bully Christians and others into uh, accepting and pr- not just accepting, but celebrating and promoting uh, their agenda. And if you don't, you are in some serious trouble. The latest example is the Shawnee State University case. And Shawnee State University, there's a professor there who refused to call an obvious biological male female pronouns. And that individual was fired. And uh, he is being represented. Dr. Nicholas Merriweather is being represented by ADF in that case, um, suggesting, not suggesting, but they are uh, defending themselves on free speech and on the rights of an individual to practice their own religion as they see fit. He was willing to call this male by the male's chosen female name, but would not use pronouns and not call this person a her or a she, etc. And uh, public universities have no authority to force people to speak beliefs that they do not hold because of religion or other reasons. And that's what's going on here. So we're talking to uh, Tyson Hofer, who is... Um, a Langhofer, beg your pardon, Tyson Langhofer, who's one of the lead attorneys on that case at 935. At 1010, we go to Trump economic advisor Steve Moore, and we're going to talk with him about, yeah, the economy, and yeah, what would happen if Joe Biden ends up winning and ends up imposing a nationwide lockdown or strongly encourages and urges states to impose their own lockdowns uh, as the overreaction to the Chinese coronavirus continues. And Steve Moore will talk to us about that, but we'll also talk to him about the election and election fraud, which is here, which is where, rather, we start the program today. Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Jenna Ellis, three key and core members of the president's legal team, took to the podium yesterday for over 90 minutes, presenting what Jenna, uh, Jenna Ellis 
uh, described as an opening statement. This is not the evidence that we have. This is a description of the evidence that we have. And they presented it in some depth. And I want you to hear as much of it as you can before we talk about the coverage of that 90-minute press conference as we try to save democracy. And this is no longer just about saving Donald Trump's presidency. It's about defending democracy and the integrity of elections in this country in the future of history to come. Because it is all in jeopardy if this chicanery and this fraud and this deception is not corrected, if it is not exposed and corrected, all elections into the future are going to be in serious jeopardy. But I want you to hear a little bit about what was uh, presented yesterday by Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and Jenna Ellis. So, I guess the best way to describe this is when we began uh, our representation of the president, we, we certainly uh, were confronted with a very anomalous set of results. The president way ahead on election night, seven or 800,000 in Pennsylvania. Somehow he lost Pennsylvania. We have statisticians willing to testify that that's almost statistically impossible to have happened in the period of time that it happened. But of course, that's just speculation. As we started investigating uh, both our investigations and the very uh, patriotic and brave American citizens that have come forward are uh, extraordinary. Extraordinary number of people, extraordinary number of witnesses. And what emerged very quickly is because it's not a singular voter fraud in one state. This pattern repeats itself in a number of states. Almost exactly the same pattern, which um, to any experienced investigator, prosecutor, would suggest that there was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud, specifically focused on big cities and specifically focused on, as you would imagine, big cities controlled by Democrats, and particularly focused on big cities that have a long history of corruption. The number of voter fraud cases in Philadelphia could fill a library. Just a few weeks ago, there was a conviction for voter fraud, and one, two weeks before that. And I've often said, guess sarcastically, but it's true. The only surprise I would have found in this is if Philadelphia hadn't cheated in this election. Because for the last 60 years, they've cheated in just about every single election. You could say the same thing about Detroit. Each one of these cities are cities that are controlled by Democrats, which means they can get away with anything they want to do. It means they have a certain degree of control over, certainly control the election board completely. And they control law enforcement, and unfortunately, they have some friendly judges that will issue ridiculously irrational opinions just to come out in their favor. All right, that was a general opening statement made by Rudy Giuliani. He went on to say... Nothing filled out. We never know. So, for example, the recount being done in Georgia will tell us nothing. Because these fraudulent ballots will just be counted again because they wouldn't supply the signatures to match the ballots. So it means nothing to have counted these ballots because, for example, in Pennsylvania, where we have probably our most precise evidence, 682,770 of these ballots were cast, put in, and they weren't inspected. 
which renders them uh, ballots that are null and void, cannot be counted, have to be removed from the from the vote. But of course, they were not removed from the vo- from the vote. Now, by the way, understand what you're talking. What he's talking about right now is voter fraud, individual voter fraud, things that were not uh, verified with signatures, etc. That's different than the election fraud by way of the Dominion software that Sidney Powell talked extensively about. Now, the software itself was created with so many variables and so many uh, back doors that can be hooked up to the Internet or a thumb drive stuck in it or whatever. But one of its most characteristic features is, is its ability to flip votes. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden, which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. And that's what caused them to have to shut down in the states they shut down in. That's when they came in the back door with all the mail-in, mail-in ballots, many of which they had actually fabricated. Some were on pristine paper with identically matching uh, perfect circle dots for Mr. Biden. Okay, so I'm giving you obviously just a f- little surface scratch of some of what was talked about yesterday by Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. I can't give you the whole thing. It's over 90 minutes long, obviously. But I just want to give you a little taste of it and... Now I want to share with you what many of us had feared and hoped would not happen, but the reality. We have been talking for really a few weeks now about the left turn made by Fox News. From its morning show, to its reporters like Griff Jenkins, to some of its hosts. Even Laura Ingram, the 10 p.m. formerly conservative host who now suggests that we need to find a way to work together and find common ground with socialists like uh, Alexandria Damasio Cortez she literally has said we need to work with AOC AOC that wants to put her and anybody who supported Donald Trump on a list for a truth and reconciliation commission she wants to work with them a lot of us swore off Fox News and said with the exception of things like Tucker Carlson there are a few And now, we can't even rely on Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson took to the airwaves last night to discredit Sidney Powell. To tell a story of unreturned text messages and refusals to provide him on live television the quote-unquote evidence that the Trump team has put together to expose this election fraud. Tucker Carlson went left last night in like I said, trying to discredit the president's lead attorney in this election fraud investigation. We took Sidney Powell seriously. We had no intention of fighting with her. We've always respected her work. We simply wanted to see the details. How could you not want to see them? So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week, actually, and listened quietly the whole time at rapt attention. That's a big story. But she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. When we checked with others around the Trump campaign, people in positions of authority, they told us Powell has never given them any evidence either, nor did she provide any today at the press conference. 
Powell did say that electronic voting is dangerous, and she's right. We're with her there. But she never demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another. Which was exactly their plan. And if Tucker Carlson had made all of the statements he just made, but then followed it up with, however, Trump attorney Jenna Ellis then explained why evidence wasn't presented. This is what I talked about all last week. Trump attorney Jenna Ellis followed Sidney Powell to the podium and explained, we are not trying this case in the court of public opinion. We are not presenting our evidence here. We are presenting an opening statement here. We will give the evidence to a judge, not to reporters, not to Tucker Carlson, not to anybody else, because this case must be heard in a court and not the court of public opinion. That's the reality of this. Uh, my name is Jenna Ellis, and I'm the senior legal advisor uh, to the Trump campaign. And I'd like to just explain now uh, where we've been and where we're at and what you can expect from this process. So what you have heard, I'm sure, in the fake newspapers tomorrow will be one of two things. Either there was not sufficient evidence that we've presented or we spoke too long. Okay, so what and you- that's what Tucker Carlson did last night. There wasn't sufficient evidence presented. And again, there's a reason. Heard now is an, basically an opening statement. This is what you can expect to see when we get to court to actually have a full trial on the merits, to actually show this evidence in court and prove our case. This is not a law and order episode where everything is neatly wrapped up in 60 minutes. For those of you who are here in this room or have maybe tuned out in other networks, clearly you've never been court reporters. Trials take time. Putting on evidence takes time. This is basically an opening statement so the American people can understand what the networks have been hiding and what they refuse to cover because all of your fake news headlines are dancing around the merits of this case and are trying to delegitimize what we are doing here. Let me be very clear that our objective is to make sure to preserve and protect election integrity. President Trump has been saying from day one that this is about maintaining free and fair elections in this country. It is not about overturning an outcome. It is about making sure that election integrity is preserved, and every American should want that. If every American is not on board with that, you have to ask yourself why. And if your fake news network is not covering this or allowing you to cover it fairly and accurately, you should ask yourself why. This is absolutely a legitimate legal basis. We have been asked to provide an entire case that generally would take years in civil litigation. I've been a prosecutor. I have tried cases with far simpler facts. One thing happened in a matter of minutes, and it still takes days. And we go through a jury process. This is the court of public opinion right now. We are not trying our case in the court of public opinion, because if we were, we would get unbiased jurors. And that is exactly what Tucker Carlson, of all people, on formerly reliable Fox News, did last night. Demanded that she present evidence and that we try this in a court of public opinion. You don't present your evidence of, of, of everything that you have 
on a murder suspect in a murder trial, you don't present it to the media. You wait and you present it to a jury. And as Jenna Ellis just said, the reporters who are covering this thing, far from an impartial jury. Yesterday, they released the Kraken. To borrow the analogy used by Sidney Powell, Attorney Sidney Powell, yesterday they released the Kraken, but it's only barely getting to the surface. And now they are being attacked even by formerly reliable, responsible journalists like Tucker Carlson because they didn't present it all on their show or in a nationally televised press conference yesterday. I've got more on this, and I want to hear from you, too. 216-901-0945. Right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 927 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I appreciate you being here. I want you to hear a little bit more of of, uh, Jenna Ellis uh, yesterday just taking the media to task. I mean, she flogged them. She stripped the bark off of them uh, because she knows exactly how they were going to cover this press conference. The thing she probably didn't expect is that Tucker Carlson would be among them covering this in the way that uh, he did with complete skepticism because they didn't lay out the entire case in uh, in a press conference instead of in a courtroom. I would strike. 99% of you from the jury and I would be allowed to because of the fake news coverage you provide. You're not unbiased jurors. And until you step out of your role as a journalist and actually go into a courtroom and you are a judge on a bench that has sworn an oath to be unbiased in our separation of powers, then your opinion does not matter. The facts matter, the truth matters, and if you are fair reporters, you will cover that fairly and appropriately and you will allow coverage of our media team here and our legal team. That is absolutely shocking that all you cover are around the margins, and I've seen all of you taking pictures right now, and I can anticipate what your headlines are going to be. If you are not willing to talk about the evidence that has been presented, then that is absolutely unacceptable for journalistic standards. This is an opening statement. This is something where we have told you what the evidence will show, and we have given you a brief description. And Tucker Carlson is furious that they won't give all of the evidence that they will present in court live on his program. I don't know where the marching orders came from. There are rumors that Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in human history, the owner of Amazon and the Washington Post, is going to buy Fox News. I don't know if that's true, but I'm looking for something to explain why Fox News has taken such a hard left turn that even the reliable Tucker Carlson is on air discrediting Sidney Powell and making it look as though she has something to hide. As though she would go to the media with accusations of what he did say correctly would be the biggest crime in American history, the full-on premeditated theft of an election uh, for president of the United States. That, That part is true. That would be the biggest crime. But he is saying that because she won't come to me or to a press conference and lay out exactly what they have, before, Because it doesn't matter if she laid out everything page by page by page of evidence, sworn, provable, irrefutable evidence. The media would still refute it 
the media would call it conspiratorial. So why present it to you, Tucker Carlson? Why present it to the media at that press uh, gathering? The only place to present it is to a judge and to jurors who are not as openly and wantonly biased as the media, including now Fox News. Uh, we're, we'll remind everybody once again, One American News, the One American News Network is Channel 347 if you have DirecTV. Newsmax is Channel 349 if you have DirecTV. I can't speak to the other providers because I don't have them. I have the DirecTV system, 347 and 349. It's time to swear off Channel 360. We'll be back after the news with Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney um, uh, Tyson Langhofer to talk about freedom to practice and to preach and teach what you believe, which is now under attack in the United States by the LGBTQXYZ community. We'll be back after this. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 936 now. The Bob France Authority continues. The First Amendment, the text of the First Amendment, you may have it memorized. I do. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. And we'll continue just to finish it, but or of the press, the right to of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of, gri- redress of grievances. But it's about abridging the freedom of speech. Now, freedom of speech does not mean just that you are allowed to say what you want without fear of reprisal. Freedom of speech also means that you cannot be forced or compelled to give speech that you do not agree with. That is a violation of your freedom of speech if somebody, an employer or the government or legal uh, officials, if they try to compel speech, that is a violation of your free speech as well. And that is one of the things that the Alliance Defending Freedom is all about. They are, they are all about defending people's right to freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom uh, to say and do as they please, again, with it, without harming other people. Now, I'm going to read a real quick, quick uh, quote for you before I go to our guest from ADF. Um, Professor Nicholas Merriweather uh, is a professor at Shawnee State University, a philosophy professor, and he tells the story of what has gotten him in serious trouble with his university and, in fact, led to his termination, and that is the fact that there was a male student in one of his classes who came up to him and demanded that he call this male student by female pronouns because he thinks that he's a woman. Quote, In the ensuing weeks and months, I offered to accommodate him by referring to him only by his name, but the university administration informed me on pain of disciplinary action, including termination, I must call him and all students by their preferred non-biological pronouns, including recently concocted ones like Z or C or Tur, or I would have to eliminate any terms that refer to a person's gender from my vocabulary at all times, on campus or off, with any students. That would mean purging all pronouns, including terms like Mr. and Ms., even words like brother, sister, father, mother. It would require me to speak the English language as if it, had ne- as it has never been spoken before in the history of Western civilization. That is from an op-ed written by Nicholas Merriweather. Now let's talk to one of the representatives, legal representatives of Professor Merriweather, 
Alliance Defending Tur- uh, De Freedom, excuse me, Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney is what I'm trying to say. Tyson Langhofer joins us now. He's Senior Counsel and Director with the Center of the Center for Academic Freedom at ADF and one of the lead attorneys on this case. Attorney Langhofer, good to talk to you. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. I'm blown away by this case, as I am by virtually every case that ADF chooses to take up. Uh, and I can see why you're doing it, of course, because this is so extraordinarily important, not just to your client, Professor Merriweather, but for all of us, if precedent is set that forces people to speak in, well, as the professor described in his op-ed, in ways that no human has ever used the English language in the history of Western civilization. What can you tell us about where this case stands right now? What is the lawsuit that the professor has filed against Shawnee State going to entail? Yeah, well, we've, uh, and just to make clear, Professor Merriweather was not fired, thankfully. He is under pain of firing if he, if he, can, if he violates, uh, according to them, their policy again. He was censured, and, and a, a reprimand, letter of reprimand was placed in his file, and they said if you violate this policy again, then you could be terminated. Uh, okay. But Thank what you for that happened? What? But what's happened though is that this has caused Dr. Merriweather to change how he he, he has to um, teach his class. He's been a professor there for more than twenty years. He teaches philosophy and religion. He he when he does so, he engages in these deep discussions about what it means to be human. Um, you know what it means to pursue truth. He te- teaches from an Aristotelian uh, view that we can attain truth. And, and by forcing him to speak messages that he disagrees with, the, the school is forcing him to change the methodology and, and the, um, the ways in which he's taught for more than 20 years. But what's important to understand here is that Professor Merriweather went out of his way to accommodate all his students and treat them all with respect. And in fact, with this student, he said, I'm not going to use any pronoun with you. I'll call you by your first or last name. I'll just avoid the use of pronouns. But what the school and the student demanded was that he then change the way he addressed every other student um, and not use any pronouns with any other student because somehow that would be offensive to this student. And that's the problem we're talking about here is when we disagree on issues that are really important, what we're seeing more and more is this demand that not only you just, um, you know, not say something that, that you disagree with, we're demanding that you say a message that uh, you know that I that I want you to say. So this isn't really just about a pronoun. It's about what that pronoun means. It's about endorsing an ad- ideology. Right. That's very well said. Uh, because if you do, if you if you if you cave in here and you actually start saying everything that somebody tells you to say, it is a de facto endorsement of it. And it also doesn't it open up a can of worms. I mean, seriously, uh, one student can then later on say, you know what, I prefer to be called God. I prefer to be called Lord. I prefer to be called, you know, whatever, whatever strange thing that they choose. I mean, the bottom line is, conventions, cultural conventions, including our language and our pronouns and referring to males and females as such, should not be forced to, you know, should not be eliminated, rather, because of the personal, you know, feelings uh, of offensiveness being, or offense being taken by a infinitesimally small segment of our population, the segment that calls themselves trans. Well, yeah, I mean, here's an example. We argued yesterday, just yesterday, we argued this case before the, uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and one of the judges asked the uh, university's counsel whether a university could force a Jewish professor to address a student by my Fuhrer, right? Uh, You know, if it's about 
the you know if this guy this this student somehow identifies as that and demands that that that's what he needs to be addressed so it would show him respect could you force a jewish professor and they said no you couldn't well why can't you well that would be objectively offensive well okay it, it, you know the same goes for uh, Dr. Merriweather. Dr. Merriweather believes that speaking a message that he thinks is untrue um, would require him you know, to, to violate his conscience. And if you're going to give it that right to somebody else, then you need to also give it to Dr. Merriweather, regardless of whether you agree with that. But what's important here is Dr. Merriweather is just asking for the same rights that he and the university give to the students. The students can speak the messages they want. They're not being censored to speak the messages about gender ideology and, and what it means to be a human in, in class. And Dr. Merriweather simply wants the same thing. And, and it's also important to understand this student stayed in Dr. Merriweather's class the entire time. He got a good grade. And there were no other allegations of any type of mistreatment. It was simply the fact that Dr. Merriweather would not address him with female pronouns. That's it. And because of that, he's been punished and, and with the threat of termination. We are talking with Tyson Langofer. He is the senior counsel and director of the Center for Academic Freedom at Alliance Defending Freedom, one of the lead attorneys in this case of Professor Nicholas Merriweather against Shawnee State University. For those who don't know, by the way, it's in Portsmouth, Ohio. So it's an Ohio uh, uh, college or university, and uh, this is what we're dealing with. Um, Attorney Langhofer, I would not be, you know, wanting to ask you to make your opponent's case for you, but I do want to ask you, what argument do they have other than, hey, being called by, uh, you know, a male pronoun when he's a biological male hurts his feelings. It's, it, it's, it gives offense to him. It's, it's politically incorrect to call him that. And even to call him just by his chosen name. What, what argument are they giving? to justify trying to force this professor into speaking things that he does not believe in. They have alleged that Dr. Merriweather violated their non-discrimination policy by treating uh, this student different than the other students, but that's, that's not true. Dr. Merriweather was treating this student this exact same as every other student. He addresses all biological males with Mr. and all biological females with Miss. When the student said, I don't like that, then Dr. Merriweather accommodated this student by saying, okay, I'll call you by your first name. Because he accommodated him, then the, the university said, you're treating him differently than you're treating the other males. Um, and, and so that, that's their argument. But again, what we're saying is no, Dr. Merriweather wants to treat him the same as all other students. Um, and, and secondly, the only reason he changed was because of the, the desire for the accommodation. But, but simply um, acknowledging that there, that, uh, there are differences between biological males and females. That's a biological scientific fact. That's not discrimination. There was no deprivation of any, any benefit for this student. The student received the same education that, that every other student did. He participated in the class and had a good grade. And so there, this is not um, unlawful discrimination to recognize the distinction between the sexes. In, in that manner. And again, he even said, I'll alter my speech. I will agree not to use mm -hmm. pronouns with you. But it was him, he, the student was demanding that he alter it with all other students as well. Um, Mr. Langhofer, when did this take place, the original complaint from student to professor for being told or being responded to in, uh, in class as yes, sir? I guess that's what led to this, is that professor, Correct. the professor said yes, sir, and uh, he came up after and said, I'm not a sir, don't call me by male pronouns, I, I identify as a female. When did all that happen? That happened in January of 2018. 
Okay. So we're almost three years since that time. So what has the and I've, uh, the reason I'm asking is because you corrected me and said the professor has not been fired. So I'm assuming he's also not on leave or under suspension. He's teaching classes. Is he following the new rule? Is he calling students by just their names? Or how has he handled this in the last nearly three years? So there has not been any other um, student in class that has asked him to refer to um, uh, to refer to the student using something other than the biological pronouns. So thankfully, this has not come up again. Um, but it, it has. So he is using he is using he is using the the traditional male and female pronouns uh, to refer to students in class now. And since nobody else has complained, he's okay for now. That is the current process, correct? Uh, but what it has done is it's put a cloud over him, and it has also forced him to change the way he teaches his classes. He used to have discussions, more, much more robust discussions about some of the, you know, the, the, these current issues that are addressing society that these students need to grapple with. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? You know, are we able to just change those? And what are the results of that? Those types of discussions, he can't have that. And, and the reason why is because one of the accommodations Dr. Merriweather asked the university said, okay, if I agree and I did what you said, can I at least state my beliefs in the syllabus? Can I at least say what I believe? And they said, no, you can't do that. So even that accommodation, if he said, if I give you everything you want, can I at least say to the students, here's why, what I believe and here's why I'm doing what I'm doing? And they said, no. So what that tells you is they, they say, well, you can, you can have these discussions, but that's, you know, we know that's not true. If, if they believe he's created a hostile environment simply for declining to use a, a pronoun, would they allow him to engage in a robust discussion about what he thinks you know, that, that male and female means? And I think the answer is clear. Yeah, well, it's not really what somebody thinks male and female means. I mean, uh, you know, anatomically, physiologically, chromosomally, males are males and females are females. And to have to play into somebody else's psychological delusions is, is simply ridiculous. Can I, I want to ask you one last question that's a bigger picture question. We're talking with Tyson Langhofer, attorney uh, at Alliance Defending Freedom. Bigger picture on this. Uh, for example, uh, there's another story. Uh, I figure it's probably in your wheelhouse here. A direct threat to Christian education. I read this uh, essay from Albert Moeller. A direct threat to Christian education. The human rights campaign is demanding that the Biden administration, if indeed there is one, deny accreditation to Christian colleges and schools that do not go along with the agenda of the LGBTQXYZ exclamation point hashtag movement um, that Biden has pledged to champion. In other words, if professors at said universities don't do what they're demanding that Professor Merriweather do, if bathroom accommodations, locker room accommodations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are not met, that they deny accreditation. Bigger picture here. This is why your case is so important, right? Because this is going to be spread like a wildfire all over this country that anybody who doesn't bow down to somebody else's psychological delusion, they're going to be forced or they're going to be, well, in this case, lose accreditation. In other cases, lose jobs. Well, there's, there's no doubt that this is the just the beginning. And, and the way we know this is we can look at other countries. Canada has already declined accreditation for a law school. Who, want, who wanted its students to sign a statement of faith. Um, and they've said, because you require them to, to have a statement of faith, you are discriminating against them, and we will not allow your students to sit for the bar. That's already happened. And they took that all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court and lost. So it, it will come, absolutely. Um, we, that's why we have to, even if you disagree with Dr. Merriweather, 
even if you don't believe his ideology and agree with it, what you should do is respect his rights to do so, because if the government can tell him what to say and what to speak and what to believe, then they're going to tell you the same. And so we're standing up for everybody's beliefs, not just ones for Dr. Merriweather's, but everybody's, because the, the First Amendment is no respecter of persons. It, it protects everybody's freedom of speech, regardless of whether you're on the left or the right. Yeah, and it's a great, uh, great way to, to, to kind of cap this. It is about, and as I said before, it's not just about freedom to speak, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech means freedom to not speak and not say things that somebody wants to compel you to do. And that is what Professor Merriweather is fighting here with uh, Shawnee State University. Uh, I always, whenever I talk to attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, I always ask them to give a promotion and, uh, and to talk about the, uh, uh, the ministry, the legal ministry here. You guys need funds in order to represent all of these clients clients that you guys take on, right? So how can people help? Yeah, we absolutely do. We're a nonprofit, and we do this for free for our clients. So they can go to adflegal.org, adflegal.org, and give. We've got more uh, clients than, than we know what to do with, and, and uh, we need your help to, to support them. So uh, we'd, we'd love any support you give us. Yeah, people need to know that the clients you represent do not pay anything for this. You are doing this because it's right, but it doesn't mean that it's free to do this. You guys have a lot of expenses in order to defend these people uh, and these clients. So I want to encourage people, again, adflegal.org, adflegal.org. If you've got a dollar to give, uh, especially since you can write it off on your taxes for this nonprofit and it's late in the year 2020, this is a great place to give those dollars. They need your help. Attorney uh, Tyson Langhofer, thank you so much for the great work you're doing. I appreciate the update, sir. Thank you. All right, 952. We'll take a quick time out here, come back with a couple of calls on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 956. Let's get a couple of phone calls in here before the top of the hour. Charlie, the politically incorrect mechanic in Lakewood. Hey, Charlie, go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. So, morning, Charlie. Yesterday, uh, not yesterday, a couple days ago, you had a guy called in, said he took his car to the U-Check, and they started asking him for information because he could not wear a mask. Well, yeah, not just information, I, but his license and registration. They were going to record his uh, his address and everything else and supposedly right. report him as being refusing to, to wear the mask. Go ahead. Well, as you know, as you know, somebody that fixes cars, anytime a customer brings a car in that has a check engine light on, usually it's because they failed their, their e-check. And one of the things I do here is go and get the e-check done because not only is it convenient for the customer, but it's also a guarantee that I did my job. So today I went to go do an e-check this morning uh, out at the station in Westlake and told them that I'm not supposed to be wearing a mask. Uh, now, this has happened in the past. It wasn't a problem. I stayed in the car. Uh, they had me pull forward. They plugged in their stuff, and that was it. Today, the station manager came out and told the other employee that they needed to make sure he printed out an extra copy of the e-check. And I asked why, and his words were that they have to now report to the state anybody who refuses to wear a mask for whatever reason. Medically exempt, protest, doesn't matter. Uh, they are being reported from the state to the state. Now, 
eCheck is operated by so a they're private a list. company called Right. They're they're operated by a private company called EnviroTest, who's contracted with the EPA to do these tests. E-check facilities are not state owned, they're not state run, they are privately owned and run uh operations. So now you have a private company being weaponized by the state of Ohio to report mm-hmm. people. Now here's the kicker. These are my customers' cars. This car doesn't belong to me. They're giving the the only information on that test relevant is going to be the VIN number of the vehicle, and it's going to go back to who the owner of the car is. So I don't know what they're accomplishing here by keeping that information. Now, they, they did not ask me for my license. They didn't ask me for my address, not even my name. But, you know, it just goes as to the list of stupid that we consistently yeah. see out of this whole seven-and-a-half-month ordeal. Well, and it, to me, it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment as well as the First Amendment because it's it, what it amounts to is illegal search and seizure. They're going to take your information. You have not committed a crime. You have not been accused of a crime because it's not a crime not to wear, to follow this health order. It is not a law, a law passed by uh, the legislature that sits in the Ohio Revised Code. It's not a law. It is a quote-unquote health order by the health department, the Ohio Department of Health. So you are, without having committed a crime or being accused of a crime, being forced to give information that they have absolutely no business taking from you. So that's search and seizure, in my estimation, as well as then a violation of privacy. And, and putting you yeah, on I'm a sure. list now, too, this person yep. didn't wear a mask to get his e-check done. By the way, I got mine done a couple of months ago, and I didn't wear a mask, and we were still on the mandate, and there was no big deal. So this is new. This is, I had to get two right. of our vehicles, in fact, e-checked. And so this is new, this uh, heavy-handedness, but it is another example, again, of what most of us talk about. The orders that we are facing with respect to, and I'm sorry to monologue your phone call, Charlie, but um, Don't worry the, order that we are, the order that, orders that we are facing regarding masking and locking down and curfews and et cetera, et cetera, are not about health. They are about control of people, and this is a perfect example of it, Charlie. Your, your last thought? Right. And this, no, this, this virus is being extorted in so many ways to take advantage of, of, of just so many opportunities. I think especially big government globalism has been trying to accomplish for a long time. And this has got to have it be, be put a stop to. This is, this is just it, it, a total assault on everything this country stands for. And on, I am on not so many elements of our liberty. That's, and you shouldn't, and that's why you're the politically incorrect mechanic. Charlie, I got a jet again. I yeah, apologize right. for filibustering your call, no problem. but thanks so much for making it. Uh, top of the hour news now. We're going to come back with Steve Moore, economic advisor to President Donald J. Trump, next on AM 1420, The Answer. WHK, W273DG, Cleveland. Broadcasting from the Discount Drug Mart Studios. Proud to be celebrating 50 years as your hometown pharmacy. With SRN News, I'm Rich Thomason in Washington. Today is expected to bring a big development in the war on the coronavirus in the U.S. Pfizer will ask the FDA Friday for emergency approval of its coronavirus vaccine. Moderna is likely to do the same in a few weeks. Infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci says no corners are being cut. We need to put to rest any concept that this was rushed in an inappropriate way. This is really solid. Even with approval, the vast majority of the hundreds of millions of doses won't be available until spring. The country is suffering through a surge now. 
California Health Secretary, Dr. Mark Galley. Even though we have the hope of vaccine and the discussions about what lies ahead on that front, we have to take care of the urgency of the day. That report from correspondent Tim McGuire. This is SRN News.